You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. But let me begin the time, um, our time, by asking a question, real simple question. Outside of the birth of Jesus, what do you most associate with Christmas? Gifts, perhaps, you know, Christmas presents under the tree, or, or maybe it's food, right? Mandarin oranges or, or, or turkey dinner. Um, maybe it's family, and this, this year especially, it's been kind of tough because we don't get to spend time with family like, like we normally would. Or, or maybe attached to that, it's loneliness, where Christmas actually brings a lot of emotion, uh, just attached to people who aren't around anymore, people we, that we just don't get to see. Or, or maybe if you're a student, what you most associate with Christmas is just time off school. You get a couple of weeks break, or if you're working, you get a couple of stat holidays. And so, so that's what you connect to Christmas most of all. Obviously, there's no wrong answer, but there is one element to Christmas that, that I left off that list that is, it's as big as any, and that is it's music which is why it's so appropriate that Pat leads us into that time because you take, the, you take the music out of Christmas and Christmas just isn't Christmas. I mean, just think about it. Christmas has its own musical genre. I, I mean, just, just think about it. If you're walking through the mall on a hot August day and you hear jingle bells coming over the speakers, you'd think, what the heck? But if you were walking through that same mall in mid-December and you didn't hear jingle bells coming over the speakers, you'd think, what the heck? How, how many Christmas songs do you think there are? You ever thought about it? Um, according to one data nerd who did a deep dive into Spotify and Echo Nest, he discovered 914,047 Christmas tracks representing 180,660 unique songs created by 63,711 unique artists. That's a lot of music. The artist with the most Christmas tracks? Bing Crosby. How many Christmas tracks does Bing Crosby have? Just listen to this, it'll blow your mind. He has 22,382 songs on that list. You heard that right. Bing Crosby has over 22,000 Christmas songs on Spotify. The next is Frank Sinatra, who has 17,979 songs, and Elvis Presley with 12,381. What, what Christmas song do you think has been recorded the most? Well. The answer is Silent Night. Silent Night is number one, recorded by over 19,000 artists. Secondly is White Christmas by Bing Crosby, which has been recorded by almost 16,000 artists. And the third is, is Jingle Bells, recorded in 1857, or excuse me, written in 1857 and recorded by almost 15,000 artists. Sadly, and a sign of our times, I guess, the artists with the most Christmas tracks were at the height of their power, at the height of their popularity by the mid-60s. Drake hasn't recorded a Christmas album yet. It just seems that Christmas music isn't as popular as it once was. 
Why am I telling you this? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this because it shouldn't surprise us that music has such a strong connection to Christmas because it's been that way from the very beginning, going all the way back to the first Christmas, the birth of Christ. I mean, just again, think about it. Simeon, that devout and just man, he is in the temple, he meets Mary and Joseph, he takes baby Jesus into his arms and he starts worshiping. Zachariah, John the Baptist's dad, in light of the events going on in the first Christmas, he sings. Angels, after giving this good news of great joy to the shepherds, they break out in praise too. And then, what about the wise men? The wise men, when coming into contact with infant Jesus, toddler Jesus, they fall down and worship him. And then there's Mary the mother of Jesus, when she gets word that she's pregnant, and she also, she also gets word, she gets word that her much older relative Elizabeth is is also pregnant, she goes and confirms that yes, yes, Elizabeth is gonna have a baby, and what does she do? What does she do, this this virgin who is pregnant, this pregnant 15, perhaps 16-year-old pregnant virgin, an oxymoron of all oxymorons, she belts out a song. She sings. Mary's song is recorded in Luke chapter 1, and it begins this way in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary's song is referred to as the Magnificat, Mary's Magnificat. That's a word from the Latin that simply means to make great and to bring forth. If if you've ever used a magnifying glass, you get this. What does a magnifying glass do? It, It makes things bigger for all to see. And that's what Mary wants to do. In, In response to what's going on in her, And in response to what's going on around her, she wants to make much of God for all to to see and to do it in song form. Which, by the way, is a great definition of worship. Making God great, making much of God and doing it in song form. Mary begins making much of God in her song first for what he had done. Just listen to verses 48 and 49. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. What, what had God done for Mary specifically? Well, first off, he saved her. Back in verse 40, 47, she begins by rejoicing in God, her Savior. Great, great intro to a song. But it's also telling because in spite of how some faith streams venerate Mary, she needed a savior as much as anyone else. And she recognized that and magnifies the savior who came to save her, just like he came to save us. You, you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Secondly, he chose her. So Mary is making much of God, first because he saved her, but secondly, he chose her. God choosing Mary isn't mentioned specifically in her song, but it's all over it. 
Mary had been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Thirdly, Mary makes much of God in her song because he regarded her. In verse 48, we read that God looked on Mary's humble estate. The the NIV translates this this as God was mindful of Mary in spite of having no earthly reason to. Mary was a young girl from a nowhere town engaged to be married to a guy who banged nails for a living. But that's how we would have viewed Mary. But how did God view Mary? Well, no less than the angel Gabriel tells us in verses 28 and 30, in the same chapter, he came to Mary and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then in verse 30, he adds, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Favored, not because of her status, not because of her position, but because of her humility and service to God, which is affirmed by Mary herself when Mary describes herself in verse 48 this way, God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That's how Mary saw her, herself, God's servant, and then she adds in verse 49, and he has done great things for me. Do you hear the sweetness in this? I mean, this is precious. I mean, just think about it this way. Have you ever been at a time in life where just out of the blue, you receive a text or maybe a phone call or an email perhaps from someone who simply just said, hey, I was thinking of you. I miss you. I I hope you're doing well. I love you. I've been praying for you. I mean, those moments, those very unique moments that don't happen enough, when we go through them, when we experience them, we love it. It's sweet, it's precious, it's, it's tender. And, and that in a very, very small way of what is what is going on here. God, holy God, mighty God, is telling Mary, I see you, and I know you. Mary, I'm checking in. But here's the preciousness for us in this. He sees and knows you too. Let let Christmas remind you of that. He he knows you're coming and you're going. He knows you're waking and you're sleeping. He knows how many hairs are on your head or how many used to be on your head. He he knows us. He, He knows what you need before you even ask. He knows every word before it's spoken. Are you going through a hard time right now? You you shed some tears in light of maybe some things that are going on in your life. Well, the psalmist tells us that he catches our tears in a bottle and he stands next to us in our sleepless nights. John, in the last book in the Bible, John writes that every one of our prayers is caught in a bowl and poured out as incense in the heavenlies. Just think about that. When we get to heaven, we'll go, well, what's that beautiful smell? And the answer will be, it's your prayers. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knew your name. Hear me on this. God knew your name before he said, let there be light. I'll say it again. Let Christmas remind you of that. 
God sees you. God knows you. This is so good, but Mary's not done singing. That's just the very first verse of her song. She magnifies God second by singing of what God offers. She begins with what God has done, but now she moves to what God offers. Just listen to verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Do you hear what Mary is saying? What? What does God offer and offer, not only to Mary, what does God offer to all people? Mercy. But only to those who fear him. God offers mercy to those who fear him. Now fear used in this way is to be seen as a a positive. This isn't speaking of terror because we know that God's perfect love casts out all fear like that. In fact, what did the angel Gabriel say to Mary in a verse that I just read a moment ago? Mary, do not be afraid. This use of the word fear instead speaks of an inward awe. It speaks of of wonder. It it speaks of a countenance that we have before God, a a disposition. It, It speaks of a recognition of who God is. God is mighty. God is holy, but he's also merciful. God is God, we are not, but he's a good God who invites us in, he's that God, and he offers mercy to us. And and that stands out, doesn't it? I mean, of all the things, it's very interesting that Mary talks about mercy, talks about God offering mercy above, above everything else. Why is that? Why does she highlight mercy over all else? Well, the answer is because it's, it's mercy that we need most. And it's, it's mercy that God offers to all. Not fame, not power, not ease, but, but mercy. I, I don't know what you want for Christmas, but I do know what you need. It's, it's what we all need. We need God's mercy, and God offers mercy to all who fear him from generation, Mary says, from generation to generation, which must include ours too. It's such a beautiful song, but Mary's not done singing. One, one verse left. L- listen to what she sings next in verses 51 to 53. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This is the third verse of Mary's song. Verse one, she sings of what God has done. Verse two, she sings of what God offers. And verse three, she sings here of who God excludes. Do do you hear the progression in the song? You ask any songwriter about the importance of progression and they'll, they'll, they'll speak to it. Songs need to progress. Do you hear the progression of Mary's song? God exalts the lowly, God extends mercy, and finally God excludes the proud. This exclusion is much a part of Mary's song as anything else. But all of these, God's God's exaltation, God's extension, and God's exclusion all weave their way through the Christmas story. Just think about the first Christmas. The Messiah was born in a barn not a castle. 
He was born in, in this podunk town called Bethlehem, not the epicenter that was Jerusalem. Born to what would be an ostracized teenage girl and her blue collar husband. In certain circles after the birth of Jesus, in fact, during the pregnancy of Mary with Jesus, she would have been classified by some as a whore. And Jesus thereafter as a bastard child. There is this scene in John chapter eight, you can read about it in verse 41, where Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, we weren't born of sexual immorality like you were. And Joseph, he would have been a shamed and betrayed man in certain circles. The notice, if, if you just think about the birth of Jesus, the notice of Jesus' birth came to shepherds in their fields at night, not to the aristocracies in their, aristocracy in their palaces in the day. Think about kings at the time of Jesus, especially at the birth of Jesus. Kings wanted to kill Jesus. The, the rich and the proud and the mighty at the time of Jesus, they want him destroyed. But as I share that with you, don't you hear the gospel in this? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's the gospel, and that's the Christmas story. God exalts the humble and he sends the rich away empty. Why? For Jesus came for the humble. Jesus came humbly for the humble. He came, he came for those who, who knew what they need most of all is God's mercy. That's who he came for. He didn't come for the self-righteous. He came for the sick and the poor and the sinner. That's the gospel and that's all over Christmas, right from the very beginning. The fancy highfalutin inn said, we have no room for Jesus. But the barn did. The dusty manger did. The question is, will the barn that is your heart invite him in? He wants to come in. He's ready to come in. Jesus likes barns, the Christmas story tells us so. Again, such a beautiful story, and I want you, as you consider Christmas again this year, maybe for the 50th, 60th, 70th time, hear the gospel in it, but we have a couple of more parts to the song, what Mary finishes with. So let's finish it off by reading verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Abraham and his offspring forever is how she closes things down. This song is now done. Now I think, as I close, I think probably most of us know who Abraham is. Abraham is the big capital P patriarch. He's the granddaddy of them all. He is the one that the Jewish people began with. He is that, he is that individual. That's Abraham, but who are his offspring? 
Well, in the fullness of God's story, what is revealed in it is that it's not those who share his lineage. They're not his true offspring, but those who share his faith. You see, what we read about Abraham is that Abraham heard God, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Jesus, excuse me, God himself took the belief of Abraham and gave him righteousness in return. Here's my gift to you this Christmas, and it comes wrapped in a question. Do you? Do you? Do you believe what is revealed in Mary's song? That, that God exalts, he exalts the humble, that God extends mercy, and that God excludes the proud, all revealed in, in the son he sent. I invite you to believe this Christmas. God will give you righteousness in return for your belief. Will you believe this Christmas? And if you believe already, then I have another question. Why aren't you singing? We should be bursting out in song. Why aren't you singing? So Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. Love you all. Looking forward to seeing you in 2021. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to mtownchurch.ca.